Welcome to This Is Your Life with Michael Hyatt, where our goal is to give you the clarity, courage, and commitment you need to do what matters. My name's Michelle Cachette. I'm your co-host today, and I'm sitting in the studio with Michael. Hi, Michael. Hey, Michelle. So today is always our favorite episode because it is our Q&A where we get to listen to and answer uh, your questions. And I cannot, I always am so excited about this because honestly, we never know what to expect. (laughs) I know. And I haven't reviewed these at all. So I'm totally responding to these Shooting from the hip. Which is means that I'm in like absolute control, which makes me feel really good right now. No, I'd be very nervous if I were you, because you don't have any idea what I'm going to say. <laughs> I don't have any idea. You don't have any idea. But I have some great questions this week, and I'm really looking forward to dying, diving in. So we're just going to get right, right to it. All right. Bruce from Missouri called, and his isn't so much a question as a comment, but I thought we could talk about it a little bit. But he simply said, thank you for making so much available for free. Mm. I use your business principles in my home, trying to make my family time more effective and relaxing. I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. Now, what interested you about that? The family thing or the free both. part? Both. Okay. Actually, both. First of all, I love that he it just, you know, just his gratitude for free content, which is always really nice. And yeah. that you are very generous in, with giving as much as you can. This podcast costs you money to produce. And it yes, does. it's free content for your yep. audience that is very helpful. And we, I love that you do that. But perhaps what I'm most fascinated by or interested in is just how he is using what you're teaching on this podcast and on your blog in his home with his wife and his family. Yeah, it's really intriguing. And and I've believed and practiced for a long time that what works in business often works in home mm-hmm. and vice versa. I mean, leadership is leadership. And whether you're trying to lead your family or you're trying to leave your business, usually the, the same principles are in play. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't surprise me in a sense but good for him for taking it to the next level. I love that. And so many of your topics, with the exception of maybe the firing episode. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't want people firing anybody in their family. (laughs) No, that's right. You can't really do that, unfortunately, because sometimes it would be awesome. (laughs) I won't mention any names. We'll just move on from there. Okay. So thank you so much, Bruce, for calling in just with that feedback. And we love what you are doing with applying this to your your family at home. That's great. Caleb from the Ukraine called. Isn't that nice? From the Ukraine. Uh, And he was commenting on the Leading from the Heart podcast. And I just wanted to note right now, we got such great feedback on the podcast called Leading from the Heart. So if you haven't heard that, you want to make sure you go and check it out because it just really resonated with Mm -hmm. a lot of our listeners and our viewers. So Caleb said this, you talked a lot about how we should check our own hearts and how it is important not to close down. I'm in contact with and lead people who are closed down because of the current situation in the Ukraine with the war going on, et cetera. They're deeply hurt. They have deep wounds Mm. and understandably so. So how can I help them? How can I be sensitive to the hurt that's been done to them and yet still help them to open up? Do you have any ideas? Yeah. Well, first of all, what an extraordinary situation. I mean, I can't. True. I I can't honestly begin to understand that because I've never been in a situation Mm -hmm. like that. All I can do is refer to experiences that might be parallel, but certainly not of that magnitude. Um, I come from a background in business where the most recent assignment I had before I started my own company was as a CEO. And and as most people can imagine, CEOs, most of their world is spent Mm -hmm. fixing stuff. They may actually mess it up worse than it was, but, Mm -hmm. but their job assignment is to fix stuff. So... When I, when I was in CEO mode, somebody would bring me a problem that couldn't be fixed at a lower level in the organization. It had filtered up to me, and now this became a very thorny problem mm-hmm. that nobody seemed to be able to fix, and so they wanted my input. So my job was to go, get to the solution as quickly as possible. Okay, so, and that worked. Everybody appreciated that efficiency. That was what we were there to do. Take that same mental framework 
and move it into the family, mm-hmm. it does not work. Mm-hmm. So when my daughters would come to me or my wife would come to me with a problem, and if I jumped quickly to the solution, ticked them off. Mm-hmm. True. You know, it was evidence that I didn't have empathy, yes. that I didn't listen. And many times the healing in a situation, in a situation that's like that, is really in the listening to allow people to process. Yes. And so my guess is that in a situation like the Ukraine, part of what you've got to do, and I know this from uh, police officers that I know that deal with post-traumatic uh, stress disorder. Yes. So people that have been involved, policemen that have been involved in a, in a shooting or police women, and they are trying to process that after the fact, one of the most important things they can do is let people talk. And um, I went through years ago, more than a decade ago, a, a series of uh, gun training courses with the guy that was the head of the Nashville uh, SWAT team for the okay. police department. And one of the things he said was that the, the biggest cause for police um, deaths up until that point was suicide. Mm. And it was typically yeah. police officers that had been involved in a gunfight mm-hmm. and they had survived the gunfight, but they couldn't survive the trauma of the gunfight and so that they would take their own lives. And so they began to do some research on this. And one of the things that they discovered was that the very same thing happened in soldiers returning from Vietnam because yes. up until Vietnam, soldiers would get on a boat and they would have literally weeks on board to process what had happened with their fellow soldiers, to just exactly. talk it out. Exactly. But then in Vietnam, you know, they would, they would leave Saigon uh, by airplane, you know, in the morning and be back in the States, you know, several hours later, many hours, maybe a, a day mm-hmm. or so later, but they had no processing time. Well, and it was complicated by the fact that it was, there was such negativity toward oh, the war that they were not absolutely. allowed to even talk yep. once they got home. It was shut down exactly. and they were shunned. I just know this from my dad's experience. So that even made it worse yes. for them. Yeah. Continue. And so just, um, I, I can't think, I don't think we can underestimate the power of empathy mm-hmm. and the healing power of listening. And so I think if I were in that situation, I think the place I would go to first, based on my experience, limited experience, would be that I would ask people questions and I would let them talk through it and and do that without shaming them mm-hmm. or without offering uh, a way to fix it. So that if somebody's angry, let them be angry. Let them be angry. Because they have, in this that. case, especially, they have a right to be they very do. hurt and very angry. And they have to, and they have to, that has to be acknowledged. Mm-hmm. And until it is... It's unresolved and it continues to fester. Once they can kind of get it out there in the open, you know, these things fester and grow in the dark, kind of like mushrooms. But once you get it out there in the open, the the daylight is is the very thing that will uh, disinfect, will heal it. Yes. And so I I think, you know, I would suggest to Caleb that he read some of the writings of uh, Brene Brown, for example. Absolutely. Uh, Because she's she's a shame therapist, which is slightly different. But I think some of these principles and some of the techniques that she teaches would be hugely helpful. Well, uh, and this. she teaches a lot about mutual vulnerability that, you know, in order to encourage vulnerability on the other person's part, you have to be willing to go first. Yeah. And that can be part of that strategy well, as well. Well, and part of, part of what so hap- often happens in a situation like this, I can imagine this happening where somebody feels like there's been some injustice committed mm-hmm. and they're very angry about it. And then they share it with somebody who tries to defend the other position mm-hmm. or talk them out mm-hmm. of their anger. Yes. And that only further entrenches them into it. Well, just it deepens the wound because it's like wound wound. on top of wounds. Exactly. You know, I would add to this, too, is we can we can listen and then we get frustrated if the other person doesn't talk like we give. We're like, okay, I'm going to be available and I'm going to give them an opportunity to talk. But if they don't jump in and start talking right away, we can get frustrated and bail pretty quick or fill the air with our own words. Exactly. And I think there's a. 
there's the gift of uh, steadfast availability yep. that for as long as it takes. Mm-hmm. And it may take somebody weeks before they're willing to Absolutely. open up even a little bit, but just continuing to show up and create an environment mm-hmm. where they are safe to talk if they want to. And our nonverbal communication is important too. The reassurance, yes. the acknowledgement, um, the recognition, all of that's key. Well, I just want to affirm Caleb for a second, because the fact that you're asking this, Caleb, says a lot about you. Huge. And the fact that you really care about the people that you're working with, interacting with. So well done. And just, again, the fact that you're asking this means you're leading from your heart, which is beautiful. That I is love beautiful. that. All right. So the next question came in from Christos from Athens, Greece. And he said, my email inbox uh, was bombarded after a recent trip to Brussels. So what do you do after being away from the internet for one to three days or maybe a week? And how do you get back on track? Great question. Very common problem. I think there's two things. One is to set it up right before you actually go away so that you set the expectations. Now, you can do everything from uh, maybe coming up with some kind of arrangement if you have an an assistant that they're going to go through your inbox, they're going to handle what they can handle and only leave what they can handle Mm -hmm. for you Mm -hmm. so that you come back to a uh, curated inbox that's only the stuff they couldn't deal with. As I went on my recent sabbatical, and as we've covered on this program, one of the things I did was just tell people, look, I'm going to be gone for 30 days. Um, Here's what you need to do in the interim. But know this, this email is about to be deleted from my inbox, (laughs) and I will not be responding. Because when I come back, I don't want to come back to a full inbox. And I don't want to come back and answer issues that have already been resolved. So I came back from that trip to Europe for 30 days with no Mm -hmm. email in my inbox. So I think there's a way to set it up on the front end, get people what they need, but not return to a full inbox. Mm-hmm. But let's say you haven't done that. So now you're coming back. And you have a ton of emails to deal with. Yeah, you have a lot of email. Yeah. So one of the things uh, also before I tried that little experiment that I would do is that I would schedule time on the back end, like a free day or actually literally put an appointment on my calendar where I'm going to catch up with email. Sometimes okay. depending on the trip, that may be a three or four hour block of time. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not going to be something you're going to ever catch up with if your re-entry mm-hmm. means you hit the ground running and go right to the next appointment. In fact, I kind of feel like it almost needs to be the first thing I do because then I can start to like tackle everything yeah. else. But I've got to get my email under control, which kind of cleans things up. I kind of know where I'm where I'm um, situated, and then I can move forward from there. Well, and like I've been gone for 10 days until this recording uh-huh. session. So I've got time tomorrow afternoon. That's the first thing I'm going to do because I really want to take a couple days off. Uh-huh. Uh, but I and don't the email to... time is not time off. It's not time off. That's I'm just right. saying. I'm reminding no, you. No, you're absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for the reminder. <laughs> email I time is that. not time off. That's great. I love that. And I really like your comment about trying to set it up ahead of time so you're not yep. playing catch up. And I just recently did the same thing where I set up an autoresponder. I got that autoresponder. <laughs> that was actually very good. You did a great job of that. Thank you. So I kind yeah. of set the expectation and then my assistant has access to my email and it's wonderful. And and my email inbox will stay clean. It won't be this pressure. That's right. So. And if you want to respond, as you did in my case, you can. Mm-hmm. You can, but there's no pressure there's to. There's no pressure. Which is, it's changed everything. Okay, Christos also had a second question that he asked. Do you have any suggestions for the creation of a new business card? What should be included? Do you need to include social media accounts on that? You know, do you have any suggestions on, does it need traditional size or is it better to create something completely unusual? Well, this is kind of a true confession, but I really don't use business cards. I have business cards, but one of two things happens. Either I forget them. I never take them. <laughs> Been to, there, done that. <laughs> or I, nobody really asked me for them anymore. You know, people want to know, okay, what's the best way to contact you? And I just say, go to michaelhyatt.com. That's everything. Any way to contact me is right there on the site. Okay. So I would probably be sure that I had a good web presence with the ways to contact me, 
probably in the order of preference uh, listed there. If I did have a business card that I actually used, okay. and I, I do have one, and I thought about this in the design, I think it, there's a lot of clever ways to do it so that you kind of stand out. And if you're in a business where you depend on physical networking, you probably want to do something like that. But I literally, I put my logo and my name on the front. Okay. And on the back, I put the social media channels, how you could contact me on Twitter and Facebook and everything else. That's exactly what mine looks like, too. too. Yeah. yeah, exactly the same. So it's logo. It's all very branded, consistent with my website, everything. Yeah. And then the backside has my my primary social media channels, yeah. email, That's website. A good way to do it. If you could only remember to take them with you. <laughs> yes. They look beautiful sitting on my desk at home. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Matthew Green called from Sydney, Australia. By the way, I love that we get calls from all over the world. I do too. It's really nice. It's very energizing. It's really nice. Um, and he actually just called with a comment. I don't know if you remember this from last season, but we were talking about how some of these callers, you know, because they're calling from all over the world, have different accents. And we can just listen to them talk all the time because they just have nice accents. And we were like, the American accent isn't that cool. But Matthew... Begs to differ. He says he called back regarding our accident and he wanted to let us know that he thinks it could, in fact, help him make something of himself <laughs> if he had an American accent. Well, it proves the point that the grass is always greener on the other side yes. of the fence. You know, I mean, yeah. it's it's a little bit more exotic no matter where you're from. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still not convinced the American no, I think it's accent's sad. that attractive. But, <laughs> but I, I do think in a global um economy in a world where we are talking to people around the world, the more, the bigger issue for all of us is to remain uh, sensitive to the cultural diversity that's out there. And yet at the same time, I think not camouflage or hide or Mm -hmm. apologize for our cultural distinctives. Mm -hmm. To me, that's what makes the world rich and beautiful. I'd hate for it all to be homogenized. Mm-hmm. One accent, that would be one boring. culture. Totally yeah. true. Totally true. But I am very grateful that Matthew Green decided to call in and affirm our very boring American accent. <laughs> so thank you for that, Matthew. We appreciate it. Peggy called, and she's looking for advice on choosing a publisher for a self-published book. So she originally published an e-book, e-book version on Amazon, but now she realizes that she it needs to look better. She wants to take it up a notch and kind of make it more professional. And so she's looking at options like Lulu.com and Bell Boa Press. So what kinds of things does she need to consider and what should she look for in a self-publisher? Well, this is kind of an interesting question because I assume what she means by this is that she's looking for the tools. Because if you're a self-publisher, by definition, you are the publisher, mm-hmm. right? So all you're looking for is somebody to help you, you know, put it together, package it, package it print it, and all mm-hmm. that. Um, I'm going to be honest about this. You know, while you can self-publish, and I've self-published too. I've got a book on Amazon called The Virtual Assistant Solution that I self-published. Mm-hmm. It was way more work than in my estimation it was worth. Okay. And I've completely changed my perspective. I've heard other people say the same. Mm-hmm. So my own perspective is that uh, my first priority is get a traditional publisher if possible. Okay. Uh, yes, you'll make more if you do self-publishing per unit, but you probably won't get the same distribution. So I think that's kind of a wash. I don't do that for the money anyway. I do it for lead generation. Okay. It's a whole other discussion. But uh, I do a traditional publisher if you can. If you want to do self-publishing, I don't really have any advice, especially for physical, because I just don't have any experience doing it. Okay. And that's one of the reasons I bailed on my next book from self-publishing it, is I didn't want to go in there and learn all mm-hmm. that stuff. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't a good use of my time. It is a lot of work. A if lot of you, work. I should say, if you do it right. Yeah. I mean, it can be less work, self-publishing, if you just like throw it together. Mm-hmm. But if you really want the kind of quality product you want, you have to be willing to invest a ton of time you do. into the process because it requires design and editing and everything else that a traditional publisher handles and, for and you. And the only reason I would do that is because I didn't have an option somewhere else. Okay. 
because I really believe that in almost every area of our life, the more narrowly we can focus our own activity, so we don't have to be a jack of all trades, but mm-hmm. we really can master a few. Okay. Uh, the more that we can, can do that, the more successful we'll become. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. However, stick with us. We have several more Q&A questions coming right, right up, and we will be right back. As a busy and successful blogger, podcaster, author, speaker, and consultant, I'm constantly asked about the tools I use to get it all done. Now, for the first time, I'm going to pull back the curtain and let you peek inside my toolbox to see the software and hardware I use for everything from blogging and podcasting to productivity, social media, and speaking, plus so much more. You can't buy inside my toolbox, but you can get it for free by subscribing to my free email newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll receive my newest content right in your inbox. You'll never have to worry about missing an important post or update again. To get your free copy of the Inside My Toolbox ebook, visit michaelhyatt.com and enter your name and email address into the form on the page. Don't waste any more time or money using the wrong tools. Sign up today at michaelhyatt.com. We are back and we're doing our favorite episode today, which is our Q&A. We always love hearing from you and all the different questions that you send in. So thank you for that. Let's go ahead and go on. We have another question from Steve Wise, who lives in California. And he said he's getting ready to launch a new blog. I'm looking at doing a reader survey. What do you recommend in terms of a pre-reader survey at the very beginning before you've launched and established your audience? How do you survey the people you know, your potential audience, to get an idea of the best way to launch well from the beginning. This is kind of a tough question because he wants to do a survey when he doesn't necessarily have the readership, but he wants to create content that really fits. So he's trying to figure out how to survey, how to do that. Well, I think what I would do at the very beginning, if I didn't have any readers and I was just starting straight up, I wouldn't do a survey per se. I would do a focus group that included the people that I was trying to reach. Okay. So I would probably do that physically. I would assemble a group of friends or people that were in the target market that represented um, who I was trying to reach. And I'd put them in a room and I'd just ask them a bunch of questions. Okay. Um, I try to find out where the gaps were. I try to find out what their challenges were, what their frustrations were, what their aspirations are, because that can really shape the content that you create. Then once you start getting uh, a little bit of traction, Mm -hmm. then you can do a reader survey. But when you're asking somebody to do a reader survey, you're asking them to make a commitment to you. And people mostly aren't going to do that unless you've given first, until you've invested in them. You know, when I do a survey, I've told this at the recent platform conference, and I think it People just couldn't believe it. But I I asked 53 questions in my last reader survey. That's a, that's Way too many. Quite a few questions. Yeah. But I've been blogging for 11 years now. Okay. And I've really sewed into the lives of the people mm-hmm. that read me. And I got 3,500 responses. Which is amazing to me. Which yeah. is astonishing. It was, it was like almost too much to go through. Mm-hmm. It took me and my staff a considerable amount of time to go through all those. And we did go through all of them. But uh, I recommend when you're just beginning, let's assume for the person mm-hmm. who has a little traction, uh, that you ask about 10 or 12 questions and you process that information as you build a relationship and in subsequent years you can ask uh, more questions. But reader surveys are hugely helpful, but at okay. the beginning, I'd start with the focus, focus group. Focus group. You know, another way that you can, I've done this a little bit and it's not quite the same as a focus group, but I'll even... On Facebook, you know, I tend to gather a circle of people around that we have kind of similar interests anyway. And I'll just put a post that kind of surveys too, and I can get some good feedback that way. That's just another way out of my social media streams. Well, and you know, one of the things that Pat Flynn does is that when you subscribe to his email newsletter, Mm -hmm. 
then he, the first thing he sends you is, hey, tell me what are your frustrations? I can't remember how he words it. What are what your aspirations? What you're struggling with is what he said. I love that. Yeah. And then they reply to uh-huh. him. And then he's getting this feedback constantly. I thought that was brilliant. It is. That was brilliant. Because most people want to talk about what they're struggling with because they're looking for a solution. So it's a great way for you to get feedback right away, not to mention telling you the kind of content you need to create. Yeah. Fabulous. All right, moving on. Uh, The next question is from Stephen, who's from Keller, Texas. He says, I'm in the process of going through the Dale Carnegie Success Program, and a lot of the training I'm receiving coincides with your training. Hmm. Have you had experience with the Dale Carnegie Program? No, I haven't. Um, I wished I had. I would like to go through that. Um, However, my dad paid me when I was a high school student to read um, Dale Carnegie's book. Okay. So win friends, what's it called? Win friends, how to win friends and influence, influence people. people. Mm-hmm. And so he paid me to read that, and then just give a little. Oral I would love somebody to, to pay me to read a I book. Know, great. <laughs> well, actually, it's the only it's book nice. you ever did that with. That's great. But he just thought that would be so life changing for uh-huh. me, and it was. It was extremely helpful. Wow, so that's the, really probably the best money he spent. Well, and probably some of those seed ideas are now giving expression. I just have lost uh, track of where they came from. Okay, fabulous. I like it. All right, Tom called and said, we have both a website and a free WordPress blog. Should we just focus our attention on one or perhaps upgrade to a theme on a WordPress blog and then drop the website? What do you suggest about that? Well, it's hard to know without knowing more, yes, more specifics. Kind of vague, but yeah. let's, there's two different things there. One is a static website that doesn't change. So I don't know why you would focus on that after you get it built. You know, yeah, maybe you can redesign periodically but or refresh periodically. But you get that done and it hangs there. All this can be done in WordPress now. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, on my site, the home page is my blog because dynamic content is there. The content's changing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It gives reason to people a reason for people to come back. And that's what you want. Because if people come back, you begin to develop a relationship, you build trust. And again, that's the foundation for any kind of sales uh, work. But... I'm about to change over to something. Uh, I don't want to give this away too soon, but I'm going to use WordPress so that there is going to also be a static homepage. Okay. So that if you're visiting for the first time, that's what you'll see. It'll be an introduction to me, all that I have available and offer, and you can click over to the blog. Once you've, uh, you're not a first-time visitor, then you'll see the blog. Okay. So there's and it just will kind yeah, of sense we'll that it. out. It'll know. It's going to actually do it through a cookie. Okay. So if you don't have the cookie on your machine, we're assuming you're a first-time visitor, and we'll show you that that uh, static page. Got it. But if you've been there before and there's a cookie on your uh, computer, then we'll bypass that and go straight to the blog. I've gone back and forth. I had I when I first started blogging, I had just the WordPress blog, and then I went to a static homepage for a while yeah. with a blog that was a link inside of WordPress. Inside WordPress, yeah, good. And then I went back to having the blog being the main part of the page. So yeah. the truth is, though, you can do it all. On WordPress, like all my services, all my products, all that stuff, or or I have static pages that are hanging off the the blog. But really the point and what you're trying to say is having two completely separate sites, unless you have like two completely separate businesses, it just is, it's just thinning you out too many directions. Yeah. Or if you have brands for which there needs to be a static site, like for example, if you go to getnoticetheme.com, that's where my WordPress theme is. That okay. lives on its own domain. And that's static. And that's static. That and makes that's like sense. A, basically it's like a product a sales base. Page. Yeah. Platform University, another thing, that's a community and a sales page and all the rest. Okay. Members log, log into that. That deserves its own site. But I would try to be simple before you get complex. Okay, makes sense. Yvonne called and asked, are you retired? You said you do three blog... (laughs) Actually, I thought this was kind of cute. She said, are you retired? You said you do three blog posts a week. In order to do it that often, are you retired? Although I love blogs and love to do them, I'm usually in the classroom setting teaching and I don't have time. So if you're not retired, how do you have time to do all this? Um, 
I'm going to try not to react to this question. Because <laughs> there are a few words in the English language I hate more than the word retired. I hate the concept. Uh -huh. It's basically a concept that was developed in the age of factories to bribe factory workers into doing work they didn't like, mm -hmm. where they felt undervalued and underappreciated. But if they would just hang in there, they would finally reach the promised land of retirement. And they could mm -hmm. do what they want. Mm -hmm. Forget that. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't believe in that philosophy, and I know I'm, this is a sidetrack to what what she's no, talking actually about. No, actually, kind of. Yeah, I think this is an interesting yeah. topic. We might have to do a whole podcast on this. I, I think you got to. I think you got to. You got to live the life you want now. Mm -hmm. You know, and and this this is like the whole topic of a lifestyle business. But uh, when I started my blog in 2004, I was the president of Thomas Nelson Publishers. I worked on average 60 hours a week. I had five kids at home. I was very very busy, and yet I made time for blogging. And at that time, I was blogging three times a week. After I became the CEO of Thomas Nelson in 2008, I was blogging five days a week and ultimately seven days a week. Okay, I don't even know. That just that just sounds like death to me. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I mean, you know, seven days saying, a week. I, I'm not saying it's even the. I, I eventually came back to three times okay. a week because mm -hmm. that's enough. But um, this has nothing to do with how much time you have. It has everything to do with what's, what's a priority for you. Mm -hmm. And if it's not a priority, it's not a priority. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But don't tell me you don't have time. Yeah. Because people make time for what's important to them. For me, it was important. It was important to me as a CEO because I was trying to uh, get a handle on this digital uh, technology shift that was taking place in my industry. I wanted to experience it first, and I wanted to be able to speak authoritatively to my board and to my employees and to authors that we were publishing and so forth. So I was going first as a mm -hmm. leader. Now, part of this question is, I think, behind the uh, Yvonne's question is that I would imagine a lot of people feel like writing a blog post can take hours and hours and hours and hours. Yeah. And I would, you have taught me this, and we've had episodes on this and blog posts on this, that writing a blog post, a single one, doesn't have to take as long as we typically spend it on doesn't. it. It doesn't. And I'll say this. I mean, obviously, I have a lot of practice, so I'm, mm -hmm. I can be very efficient and very fast at it. Uh, but whatever time you have, I think if, if, for example, in Yvonne's case, if, if she wants to blog and she thinks it's important for building a platform mm -hmm. or whatever, how much time does she have available? You mm -hmm. know, could she take two hours a week and do that? And maybe she could only get up one blog post a week, which by the way, I think that's the minimum effective dose. I don't yes. think you can build a platform on less than a blog post a week. But, but, it, but one is not, I mean, if all you can do is one, it's yeah. still good. Do one. I mean, guys like Tim Ferriss, who have huge followings, only do about one blog post a week. Uh -huh. I do one a week yeah. right now, and that's just kind of where I'm at. And it works for me, yeah. and uh, I would love to do more, but it works for me right now. And you do three, and that works for you. Yep. So, But I agree with you. Anything less than one, if you don't make a weekly appearance, that's not yeah, typically find, find doesn't something work. else to do. And, and, yes. But again, it's not an issue of time. That's the thing I want to get over. It. I get uh, that Yvonne is busy, and I get that a lot of our listeners are busy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm busy too. I'm busier than at any time in my life. I'm way busier now than I was when I was a CEO. The cool thing is I have more control of my time now. Yeah, you get to choose. I get to choose. Mm -hmm. And so I choose to make that a priority. But even when I was in meetings all day long, traveling around the country with a busy, busy job, 650 employees, for me, it was just a matter of scheduling that time because I, I connected it to a bigger why, why it was important. One suggestion I have, and this is something I've discovered recently, is rather than writing one post a week, I block off a full day and blog maybe 
kind of craft rough drafts of three or four blog posts. It's a great way to and do it. And then all I have to do each week is just tweak it and fine tune it and make sure I have the image. And then, yep. so then it's only like an hour job rather than a, a afternoon kind of task to do a whole blog That's post. It takes the load off my mind. I know that they're coming. I know they're already in the queue and just such a relief. Well, and it's not dislike how we're doing the podcast now. Mm-hmm. Like I used to do them where I did these every week and I got in a, my studio at home and it was a task that I faced every week and it took me several hours. Well, it's kind of, I mean, it kind of takes some of the joy out of it. If it does. You, you have a regular kind of task that is always coming up. You get one blog post done and you're so relieved. Relax and, for a moment. And then you go, oh no, I have to come up with one for Wednesday. <laughs> but the way that you and I are doing these now, we're recording 13 uh, podcasts in uh-huh. about a day and a half. And so we gear up for that. We do mm-hmm. all the prep. We sit in the studio. We get it done. And then I don't think about it for another quarter. I love it. I love it, I'm too. all about batch production. Yeah, me, too. <laughs> all right. So thank you, Yvonne, for that question. It's an excellent question. Just as a reminder... We want to let you know that we do want to hear from you. If you have a question about leadership, personal development, platform building, or productivity, those are kind of the topics we tend to talk about here, please leave us a voicemail. You can find uh, the app for that at uh, michaelhyatt.com forward slash question. And yes, I personally listen to all your questions and your messages. Love hearing from you. We'd love to feature you on an episode of This Is Your Life and perhaps help you a bit with your calling and your message. So if you've enjoyed today's conversation, you can get all the show notes and a complete transcript for the episode at michaelhyatt.com. In addition, if you'd prefer to listen or to watch instead of to listen, we have the video available on his website as well. And could you do us a favor? We'd love for you to head on over to iTunes and rate the program. This is huge for us. It's it's literally the very best way to get this content into the hands of people that truly need it. So if you can just take 30 seconds to do that for us, we'd be really grateful. Any final thoughts today, Michael? No, I think I may have said this at uh, our last episode when we did the questions and answers, but just stay curious. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the best ways to grow as a leader, to grow as a person, is just to be curious, be asking questions, reading books, keep learning. Absolutely. Well, thank you for being with us today. Until next time, remember, your life is a gift. Do what matters. 